This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Tuesday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, life questions, whatever's on your heart or mind. All you need to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, it's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app just at the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Well, since it's Tuesday, and there's... Oh, by the way... um, Ladies, uh, Tanya Pinnell's Sweet Summer Devotion is online at calvarysa.com. You will be blessed if you are able to listen from last night. Okay, let's get right to the phone lines. We've got uh, Brian calling from San Antonio on line one. Brian, thanks for calling early. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. I actually set my timer when I work to get to my truck in time to make this call. But... uh, (laughs) My question is uh, Matthew seven twenty one and 22 talks about not Jesus saying, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the ones who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in the name perform miracles? And my question is, uh, how could they do that unless they were... Uh, believers, uh, how can non-believers, you know, drive out demons, miracles, and so forth? Okay, great question, Brian. Thank you. I appreciate the call. Hey, a couple of things. One, we've got to remember the context, and we got to remember that there were no believers. There were disciples. Jesus had his disciples, but this is a very, very Jewish uh, context, and it starts, the context of this warning starts in verse 15, where he's telling his disciples to watch out for false prophets. He said, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. And then he says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Now, when you get down to verse 21, he says, and by the way, he repeats twice, by their fruit, you will recognize them. That's important. So what he's telling his disciples is these guys may look like religious leaders. Now, remember, they are not believers. 
They may look like religious leaders. They may wear the robes and they may have the authority in the synagogue. But look at their fruit. And Jesus, of course, is thinking primarily of the fruit of love. There's no love. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And these men were lording it over the people, the very people that they were supposed to serve. So after the warnings, Jesus is simply giving him explanation. These men who look like they serve God, they give the impression that they're servants of God. He says, they're going to be on the outside looking in. Um, Lord, Lord. And he says, not all those people will enter the kingdom of God, but the one who does the will of his fathers in heaven. Now, the question I think you're asking is, uh, when he said, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles, and then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, Brian, um, claimed to be speaking for the Lord. They claimed to be making prophecies in the name of God. Um, There was a very active demon-casting-out business performed among the rabbis. Now, regarding the miracles, Jesus is simply saying, I think, for you and for me down the corridor of time and space, that, you know, just being part of a church that that is involved in, in science and wonders doesn't make you a Christian. So it's not that they did these things. They were prophesying in his name, justifying themselves or trying to justify themselves on that day. Uh, but they weren't really speaking for God at all. And they did have, as I said a moment ago, uh, active demon exorcism ministries, just like the Catholic Church does still today. But but Jesus said, you know, you weren't really driving out demons. There was no power. And when he says, I never knew you, it's really important because the application for us, Brian, all these years later, is that there's a lot of people who claim to know Jesus. But the question in heaven isn't whether we knew about him, it's whether he knew us. He chose us before the foundations of the world. If he didn't choose us, then he never knew us. And we can say Jesus, we can call him Lord, we can do all those things. But in Jesus' day, the religious leaders got paid a lot of money to cast out demons or to, to, to pray for miracles or to do things. And Jesus simply saying, look, the fact that they claim uh, that kind of relationship with me doesn't make them mine. And it's a very, very somber warning And, of course, they found out. Jesus said that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The problem, of course, is that for those who don't know him, who weren't known by him, Brian, it will be a terrifying day at that moment. So this isn't an admission that they did miracles or that they had true prophecies. It just means that they claimed to be speaking for God, and they really weren't. Good question. Thank you, Brian. Let's go to San Antonio again. Talk with James online, too. James, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Ron. This may seem like a silly question, but I was just listening, and I've been listening for a couple of years, and uh, I was genuinely curious. Are you the person who sings your Word to Stand On theme song? Because it kind of sounds like your voice. <laughs> James, if I was the person who was singing that song, I promise you, everybody would turn off this radio program before it got started. I am the worst singer in the history of the world. So, no, that's actually a good friend of mine. 
I, I love your show. I, I love listening. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. That is actually, James, a friend of mine named Kevin Green. He's a pastor of a Calvary Chapel in Fort Bragg in Northern California. And uh, he is a wonderful musician. If you want to be blessed, um, just Google or not Google, but put his name on YouTube and you get a lot of the stuff that he's written. And uh, I called him one day and said, you know, our like intro song, this was for the teaching programs back in the day. I said, it's kind of stale and old and slow. And can you do something to spruce it up a little bit? And he came up with that. And uh, we've been using it ever since. So, no, not my voice at all. And that's not a silly question, but the answer could have been potentially tragic. Thank you, James. I appreciate it very, very much. Uh, Here is a question that came in from Mary. Hi, Pastor Ron. I've been reading in several books lately. Uh, As of late, I've been reading 1 Kings chapters 18 and 19. In chapter 18, verse 25, He says, through 38, it's so fun and exciting to read, but I have some questions about these chapters. In verse 27, it says, at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said, surely he is a God. And here's a question, the first one. Maybe it's a silly question. Do you think Jesus wanted Elijah to taunt the people about their false gods? Now, we need to remember, Mary, that Elijah was a prophet, not just a prophet, the prince of prophets. So pleasing to God, that God took him out of this world in a, in a miraculous, supernatural way. So Elijah was hearing from God. Now, the taunting is the 400 false prophets of Baal. And so Elijah was doing exactly what God, they challenged him, and, and, and Elijah, in a great step of faith, said, you know what, let's find out who's God. They were, they were claiming their God, Baal, was God, and Elijah was saying, no, the God of Israel is God. And he says, you know, let's have a contest. Let's see who's going to win. And if your God is God, serve, we'll serve him. But if my God is God, we'll serve him. And so he was challenging them. And the taunting was simply as a result of their feverish pursuit of God answering their prayer, even though um, God was silent. Their God, Paul, was silent. And maybe he's asleep, he would say later. And um, so this was clearly a challenge, and it was the will of God, and it was exactly um, what happened. Um, She says, I know the Lord has a sense of humor, wondering if you could expand on how that went down, Elijah being a leader. I wouldn't think that taunting would be a good thing on representing the Lord. Am I overthinking this? And yes, Mary, you're overthinking it. This was... Um, the will of God. And then she says in verse 38, it says, uh, and, and I'll, I'll summarize this one quickly. This is when Elijah was um, um, preparing the sacrifice and filling all of the ditches with extra water, telling the prophet, Put in, pour more water, more water. And then the fire of God came down and proved who was God. And then it says, a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart. Or actually, I'll go back a verse in chapter 19. The Lord said, Go out and stand in the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After three earth, after the earthquake came fire, but the fire, after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. 
She says, in those verses, I see the Lord used fire a lot to make his point. Does fire represent purity in those scriptures? It seems like the Lord loved using fire. Um, Mary, Mary, the fire describes judgment. It describes the the purity of the Lord. Uh, Fire describes Holy Spirit. So the fire is a common symbol for the cleansing work or the judging work of God. And uh, and that's what's involved there. Now, let me just say this, Mary. The, the, the problem with humans is we always expect for God to meet us in these huge, spectacular events. Go stand. God did something he wanted to say to him. And, and, and God was just showing him, Elijah, God's not in those big things. I'm so small. I'm so near to you. I love you so much that I'll speak to you in a still, small voice. And for people like us, Mary, it's so important. You know, we want God to give miracles. We want God to do signs and wonders. And God says, how about we just have a relationship where you and I walk and talk? I'll whisper to your heart. You'll hear me. And we'll walk together and be obedient. So the encouragement, Mary, is to Listen for the small voice of God rather than look for the miraculous hand of God in everything. The Christian church in 2020, we really, really need to understand that. Thanks for the question, Mary. I appreciate it. Here's a question from Carl. He said, Pastor Ron, how can I know what God wants me to do when he doesn't reveal it to me? I'm a new Christian and I'm confused. Well, Carl... Um, you're not alone. A lot of Christians are confused, and especially new Christians. We automatically assume at the beginning of our walk that God's going to instantly speak to us. He's going to give us direction, and um, uh, and he'll sort of lay out his will for our lives. That's just not the way God works. Here's how you can know what God wants you to do. Do what the Word says to do. Be obedient to what you clearly understand. I'll just give you one example, but there's hundreds. Flee from sexual immorality. Okay, we know that's the will of God. Give thanks in everything. That's another one that's the will of God. So if you do those things, and you do them to please God, to honor God with your obedience, then He's going to reveal more to you about His next step. But see, here's something you've got to understand, Carl. God is only concerned with the next step. That's all he's ever going to show you. He's never going to go three, four, five years down the road or ten years down the road. What he's going to say is, here's my will for your life. Pursue that. You know, Carl, when I was a new Christian, I was only six months old when I knew I was called to be a Christian. Just six months old in the Lord. And... um, Uh, I hadn't been raised in church. I've said this many times in the program. I didn't really even know what a pastor did. I knew he was the guy that stood up and and taught, but beyond that, I didn't know anything else. And with my background, it seemed like me being a pastor was mission impossible. So um, I I just said to him, Lord, uh, you know, if I'm going to be a pastor, then I'm going to do it by walking with you because I don't have any clue where this is going. And what I did was begin preparing that day to be a pastor. I continued to devour the Word of God. 
I continued to be obedient. I, 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 I continued to serve when Paul and I were going to churches as best I could. Uh, we, we, were, we were serving. Um, but the idea is God sort of gave me a big picture with no details. And then it took, um, well, from the time I, I learned as a pastor, it was about four years before we actually came to San Antonio and started this church. And we started from scratch with, with nobody here, and we didn't know anybody. And every step of the way, we simply walked with Jesus, following him every day. And when you're walking with Jesus, Carl, you can't miss out on God's will for your life. So the reason you're confused is you're looking for too long-range a program. God, tell me what's going to happen in the next five years or ten years, when in reality we need to say, Lord, what about me and what about today? And if we'll do that one thing, Carl, just that one thing, then every single day we can know beyond any doubt that we're in the perfect will of God. And in the perfect will of God, at just the right time, God will always reveal the next step. Now, that's what walking by faith is all about. Had God shown me, or Paula, either one of us, how difficult things were going to be, how hard things were going to be before we ever left for San Antonio, if he would have said, okay, here's what's going to happen for three years, you're going to nearly starve to death, it doesn't look like I'm going to be doing anything, but I'm going to be really working on you, we wouldn't have come. We weren't prepared. We weren't emotionally nor nor in terms of the, the level of our faith prepared for those kind of hardships. But by walking with Jesus every day, we walked into those hardships not knowing they were there, but always knowing Jesus was there when we were in them. I hope that makes sense. So thank you for the question. 340 340-9585. 340-9585. Here is a question from Christopher. Uh, he says, my question is about John MacArthur's premise on lordship salvation. Do you agree with him? Christopher, I don't think it's a matter of of agreeing. I don't think it's um, um, right or wrong. I think what we do is we sort of fall out of balance. Um, John MacArthur wrote a book called The Gospel According to Jesus. Um, I might be wrong on this, but I think it was his best-selling book certainly his most controversial book. And um, his premise was that if Jesus isn't your Lord, meaning if you're not being obedient to him, if he's not the one in charge of your life, then you're not saved. He wasn't saying we get saved by making Jesus Lord. He was saying that if we meet Jesus, then we understand he is Lord. And John MacArthur is, you know, he doesn't pull any punches. He's very, very direct. And that book created a lot of angst in the church. People will, well, I'm not perfect. John MacArthur never suggested we need to be perfect. So let me summarize what he was saying, and, and, and this is my position exactly. If you meet the Jesus of the Bible, meeting him changes you. And then you begin the process of sanctification. Sanctification is, is, is being more like Jesus, the process of being more like Jesus every day. And he begins to transform you. But you can only do that if your relationship with him is as your Lord. Now, simply put, that means you've got to do what he says. Acts 5.32 says, God gives the Holy Spirit, and the context there is in power to those who obey. 
So for somebody to say, uh, yes, Jesus, you're my Lord, but not do what he says, Jesus himself addressed that. He said, uh, why do you call me Lord and do not do what I tell you to do? And that's John MacArthur's position, and that's the right one. Again, we don't get saved by making Jesus Lord. We're saved because we met the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope that distinction, Christopher, is clear. So, Lordship salvation, yes. Now, one other comment people always say, but but what about when I mess up? Again, even the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 admitted his shortcomings. What I want to do, I can't do. What I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. So so nobody's perfect, and we're going to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But here's the thing. If Jesus is really your Lord, you're not going to willfully disobey him. Now, you might be tempted, you might give in, but it's not a willful, planned event. In 1 Corinthians 6 and Galatians chapter 5, Paul describes sinful behavior in both books. And he says, people who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those are people that have not made Jesus their Lord because they're living in willful disobedience. And John MacArthur's premise is that those people haven't met Jesus. I'll go one step further. John MacArthur, I've heard with my own ears, say that he believes that fully 50% of people sitting in churches every Sunday are not saved because they haven't been born again. And Christopher, that's the question. Have you been born again? If you have been, then you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. He's your Lord. But if he's your Lord, you can't just ignore what he says. In the earlier question from earlier, you'll know them by their fruit. Well, the professing Christian who is willfully disobedient well, the Holy Spirit is certainly not able to convict him or to convict her. And the reason is because the Holy Spirit is not in him or in her. So again, MacArthur's pretty rough around the edges in terms of the way he phrases things. He's not worried about people's feelings, and that shook a lot of people up. But I, I can promise you, uh, I read that book twice as an early Christian, and uh, it it opened my eyes, my heart, and everything else. So that's one of the things with MacArthur that I would uh, understand at all. Um, so I, I hope that makes sense to you. I think we've got time for one more before we go to the break. Margaret says, I want to know if abortion is the worst sin. And what about women who have had abortions? Can they go to heaven? Uh, abortion certainly a bad sin, Margaret, but here's the beauty of the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. When we confess him as Lord and Savior, when we believe in him and receive him, well then all of our sins, past, present, and future, the worst of the worst and the, the smallest of the small. All of our sins are covered in the blood. So it's very important. You understand that, that while abortion is a very serious sin, it is murder. Jesus' blood covers that sin. 
women who've had abortions, if they are born again, will go to heaven. Not only that, Margaret, there'll be a wonderful reunion with your aborted baby. And believe me, it won't be a moment where you feel guilty or he or she is saying, how could you do this to me? It's not that. That's, that's how we humans deal with guilt. It'll be the most beautiful thing ever. And you'll see your child at her, at her or his absolute best. So for sure, abortion is horrible. But Jesus' blood is stronger, is greater, is more gracious than any sin that we could ever be guilty of. And personally, Margaret, I absolutely love the fact that I can't out-sin the grace of God. I've not had an abortion, of course. But I can say this, I've done things just as bad. And in an instant, in February of 1991, all of those sins were taken away. And I knew, I knew I was forgiven. And that's what God wants for all of you. So Margaret, if you've had an abortion, just tell Jesus how sorry you are. And not just for that, but for all of your sins. Admit that you're separated from God and apart from this wonderful gift of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for your sins and being risen from the dead just tell him I'd be in hell God I want to serve you and all that separates you from God is wiped away wiped away love it thank you Margaret 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR this is the word to stand up for life We'll be back in two minutes. Got a question for Pastor Ron and the word to stand on for life? You can send it to him via email at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to our final half hour on the Tuesday show, 340-9585. Let's go all the way to Whittier, California and talk with George on line one. George, thank you for calling. You are on the radio. Hello, Pastor Ron. George here. Hi, Hi, George. It's so good to hear your voice. Oh, you too. Well, yeah, I hear it on the radio anyway. But, uh, (laughs) uh, Pastor Ron, I I wanted to ask you, uh, there's there's an author and a pastor named John Burke. Um, Maybe you're familiar with him. Uh, This book, I wanted to ask your opinion of a book called Imagine Heaven. I haven't really read much of it yet, but, um, you know, some of these... NDE books are a little out in left field, I guess, but I just thought maybe you might have an opinion of this this man, this pastor, or this this book, if you if you're familiar with that book. 
Um, George, I'm sorry I'm not, and I, I obviously I can't do the research now, but if you uh, will tune in tomorrow, I'll do some research and uh, and try to get you an answer. I'm not familiar off the top of my head with John Burke uh, nor the book, so I will look. I apologize. Yeah. No, no problem at all. I'll do that. I'll tune in tomorrow and see what you thought. Thanks, George. But. Texas, Texas loss was California's gain. We miss you. God bless. Let's go to Cindy calling from San Antonio online, too. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, Cindy. Um, you know, when you were, um, I, I called in last week, I think it was, or sometime around then, and I said I was going to read the first chapter of Ephesians while we're in Ephesians, which I've been pretty good. I've, I've missed one or two days, but pretty much I've, I've done a lot in it, and there's this one part that every time I read it, it pierces my heart, and I just want to fall on my face, and it's it's chapter 1, of course, verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us, and this is the part that, that just slays me, in the one he loves. And, and, you know, I, that, that's just God talking about how much he loves Jesus. And I love hearing about how much God loves the Lord. So if you would just talk about that, I would love that. Bye. Thank you, Cindy. <laughs> Cindy knows I did two studies on this section of Scripture. We're going to actually finish Chapter 1, I think, this coming Friday. Um, you know, in, in the, the, the whole context of, of this section is God choosing us. Before the creation of the world, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons. And it pleased him to do it. And then he says this, and this is what Cindy's asking about in verse 6. He chose you and he chose me and in some way that we can't possibly understand. Then his grace gets praised. And this glorious grace that we've been given freely was given us in the person of Jesus Christ. And then the next verse says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. You know, Cindy, I think for me, the thing I like the best about that passage is that I'm not a mistake. You know, I'm so hard on myself, and so many of you in the, the audience are hard on yourselves if we mess up. But, but, but we're not a mistake. God chose us knowing the times we were going to fail. It didn't change his mind about choosing us. And he lavished us, and I love that word, and I made a big deal out of that that word. It's an extravagant love. And he did it, and he did it to demonstrate his wisdom and his understanding of the human condition. And in some way that we can't really understand, Cindy, our lives, where they started and where they are on the way to finishing. Point God out as being wise. You know, we think, well, God, why did you choose me for this? I'm the worst person in the world. And God said, no, no, no. I did this with all of the, 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 the wisdom of heaven at my disposal. I did this understanding every strength and weakness that you have. And I love that. So this is just a, a wonderful passage of Scripture. And Cindy, just so you can kind of keep up, anybody else, we're going to start um, this week just to close Ephesians chapter 1 in his prayer uh, for the Ephesians and by extension for us. It is a magnificent 
portion of Scripture. Thank you, Cindy. appreciate it very, very much. Let's go to a question from Baron. Pastor Ron, I'm interested in your response to Max Licato's prayer at the prayer service last Sunday. Um, Baron, all I know um, uh, about, uh, there's, there's pastors that are getting together, praying, supposedly praying for San Antonio, um, you know, our city, like all of the cities in the, in the world, in the United States, certainly, going through really tough times. People hurting from the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, people hurting from being isolated, people hurting because churches have actually closed their doors. And uh, and when I first heard about the announcement, I thought, well, that's what we need to do. We need to go and we need to pray. Um, and then um, when I got your question, I did some research. or I just now got the answer from my research department here. And honestly, I wasn't going to answer this question until I could get the text of his prayer. And I couldn't find it this morning. Well, we just found it. And I'm just going to read it to you. This was his prayer. This comes out of the San Antonio. I think the San Antonio light is what you said. Um, I pulled that out. Yeah. But this is prominent local pastor and author Max Lucado got down on his knees a Sunday in San Antonio to beg forgiveness for his and his white ancestors' acts of racism and inaction. Now, here's the content of his prayer. This is in quotes. I'm sorry that I've been silent. I'm sorry that my head has been buried in the sand. My brothers and sisters are hurting, and I am sorry. I made them to feel less than. I did not help. I did not hear. I did not see. I did not understand. And again, in quotes, he said, this is his prayer now. Your church, your pastors have broken your heart by favoring one skin color over another. Oh, Lord God, have mercy on our souls. How dare we? How that must nauseate you, O oh Lord. Then he admitted that those sins extend to brown skin, and he himself has committed them. He said, the word wetback has found its way on my lips too, he said. For that, I'm so very sorry. Would you please, O oh Lord, bring a new day? Now, um, let me let me say clearly that Max Lucado is um, a servant of God. He has been used powerfully by the Lord in ways that I could never even begin to imagine. So uh, this is not bashing Max Lucado, but I'm sad. This really makes me sad. He got down on his knees to beg forgiveness for his and his white ancestors' acts of racism and inaction. The Bible can't be clear. The sons are not punished for the sins of their fathers. No, it's the father who will stand before God for his own. We can't beg forgiveness for our ancestors' acts of racism and inaction. We cannot do it. They have already, if they were believers, stood before the Bema Seat of Christ. And this is just social justice nonsense in this crazy world that we live in. And when otherwise solid pastors, and Max Lucado is, when otherwise solid pastors cave into this nonsense, then it demonstrates just how far we have fallen from the Word of God. We have let the craziness of this world impact our hearts. We've let how we feel, we've let this constant bombardment of guilt for being white 
change the word of God and the promises in it to nothing more than emotional drivel. And this is emotional drivel. I'm sorry that I've been silent. Well, if you've been silent on racism, Max, then then you should repent. When you see a black or a brown brother or sister who's hurting, then you share Jesus with them. But don't accept responsibility for sins that you haven't committed. And then I want to go to the next thing you said because you included me. Your church, your pastors have broken your heart by favoring one skin color over another. I'm married to a woman we've been together for 50 years who's a beautiful black woman. My God, I've got two children who are black. I've never favored one skin color over another ever. Don't include me in this nonsense. Max, you ought to be repenting for this prayer. For caving in from solid biblical principles to a world that just wants us to apologize. Acts chapter 17. I think it's verse 26. Uh, But it's in Acts chapter 17. Paul says that we are who we are. We're born when we're born. And we're born at the time and at the place that we're born for a reason. Placed here by God. We're not here to accept responsibility for sins that we didn't commit. We cannot do that. That's why I said it's drivel. And this is a shameful prayer. Now, if you've used the word wet back, God bless you for repenting. But don't you ever accuse me of being a racist. I'm as white as you can get. But you see, being covered in the blood of Jesus Christ means that everybody, black, brown, white, Asians, everybody from every place, we stand on the same ground. And that's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nobody is more than, nobody is less than. And to take this position is not only anti-biblical, Max, but to take this position demonstrates you don't understand the heart of God at all. Now, in a general sense, I got enough of my own shortcomings to deal with. I don't need to start repenting for other people's sins. Is there racism in the church? Of course there is, and it is a shame, and it is an embarrassment. But but that racism isn't at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, at least not in terms of function. Our church is as diverse in terms of race and nationality and ethnicity as you can possibly get. But this whole idea of accepting responsibility for sins we did not commit is contrary to the glorious, wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. Final thought on this, and I just want to be sure, having said this, I've read 
several of Max's books and have been blessed immeasurably by them. I've only heard him preach one time and he didn't say anything that wasn't right. But this prayer, again, I waited until I had the text to say anything. This prayer is a prayer that should never come from the mouth of a Christian. 340-9585. Let's go to Ray calling on line one from San Antonio. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. I'm I'm uh, glad that uh, I'm not the only one. As you have said, your dreams sometimes are very disturbing, as <laughs> are mine. <laughs> Misery loves company, but at any rate, that's not what I called about. Um, okay. This 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 COVID thing seems to have. Uh, intertwine people's minds into very bizarre states even as you know that that prayer you were just discussing but that's not what I was calling about either um, I I had uh, a shocking realization the way things are going what with the the football team having to be called uh, uh, that state's uh, football team as opposed to uh, using the name they had had going because it was offensive to some people well uh, you know uh, I, I, I grew up uh, playing cowboys and Indians and stuff like that and you know which is probably totally not happening nowadays that's probably good but uh, I think about the the Native Americans on uh, reservations, and uh, you know, I don't think they're treated fairly, basically. But uh, I, I wonder, back when when uh, when they had uh, such respect for nature, if that could be, because you have said nobody misses the point of God if you see a sunrise or you know what I'm getting at there and I'm, I'm just kind of a little disturbed that if they had not converted to Christianity um, you know that would they wouldn't they be somewhat innocent babes <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, you know the, the way this has been going with this Black Lives Matter, and you know nobody else does. It, it had it woke me up that well, what are we going to do? Take all the pianos and get rid of them because they're not all black keys or what? You know, <laughs> ebony and ivory. It just it just is so bizarre in my brain. I did I don't know what to say. So if you could you can <laughs> mellow you. me out a little, that'd be terrific. Yeah, I'll try. I'll try, Ray. Thank you very, very much. You just sent me back to Stevie Wonder and Paul McCartney doing that song. Um, a couple of things. You're, you're right. Uh, this this epidemic has has gotten in everybody's mind. People are afraid, and we're not thinking straight. 
Um, Ray, the, the, I, I've said before in this program, isolation is not good for the Christian. Not good for anybody, but it's certainly not good for the Christian. And we've fallen away. We're, we're, we're not doing well. I said at the beginning of this epidemic, told at least I told Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, that this was going to be something that God is going to use to shake out his church. And and that's exactly what's happened. You know, uh, uh, I don't think any church is going to look the same post-COVID as it did pre-COVID. And the reason is because we're going to be, all of us, short a whole bunch of people. People that were comfortable Christians, people that were Christians as long as everything was going well and there was no real problems. As long as they weren't afraid. And um, what we're seeing is a shaking out of the of the Church of Jesus Christ. We've got people who got people who who look like real believers, faithful, mature Christians, and their faith is just vanished. It doesn't mean they're not saved. That's not my point here. It just means that nobody's thinking straight. We're all listening, and that's a general all. We're listening more to the things in this world than we are to the things of God. We're, we're constantly bombarding ourselves with things that, that, that distract us from the presence of the Lord. And we're just not doing very well. And it's not just churches out there, my church. We've got people who are afraid, people who um, are going to stay inside because something might happen. We're never promised that bad things wouldn't happen. And when our faith gets shaken, Ray, one of the first things the devil does is change our mind. You know, we're to, to be transformed, Paul says in Romans 12, by the renewing of our thinking. Well, our thinking on a large general scale has been transformed again because we're, we're, we're not being renewed in the Word of God. We're being renewed by the bombardment of junk from the world that we live in. So here's the thing, as Christians, it's our responsibility to, to love everybody who God puts before us. The parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus was making a very powerful point, and that really ought to be what we Christians are praying about. Lord, make us the Good Samaritan. Whoever you bring in front of us, it doesn't matter. Jews hated Samaritans, Samaritans hated Jews, but, but the one that was noted by Jesus was the one who went out of his way for somebody who would be perceived as an enemy. And I've said it in this church many times. If a Christian is prejudiced, if a Christian is living in a racist manner of life, then that Christian needs to examine his or her heart to see if they're really saved at all. Because the man or the woman with Jesus' heart can't look down on people, can't look at people as being less than, to quote Max Lucado again. So this isn't just one of those things where we, we, um, we're all guilty because of the color of our skin. That is absolute nonsense that comes straight from the pit of hell. And it's embarrassing that a pastor of his caliber would actually offer that in prayer. That's a prayer that God simply, the prayer nauseated the Lord. So what do we do? We can't be racists. Now, let me mention something. You're talking about the Washington Redskins. And that name, no matter how long it's been in practice, is offensive to some. Why would anybody want to offend anyone? I mean, intentionally, if, if you know the name is offensive, well, then why wouldn't you change it? 
and, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with going through a lawful process of taking down uh, statues of Confederate soldiers. That's an offense to a whole bunch of people in our world. But you see, we don't have a reasonable, orderly way to do that. We just do it in riotous protest. And that doesn't honor the Lord either. So... Ray, I don't, I don't need to go any further. I've probably gotten myself in trouble in this half of the program as it is. We got four minutes, you said? We're inside, inside four minutes now? Uh, here's a question from Melissa. She says, all people are made in the image of God, so it is impossible for anyone to go to hell. Why do Christians keep saying that some will go to hell? Melissa, we keep saying it because some are going to go to hell. Now let's forget about Christians for a moment. It's our Christ, Jesus himself, who said that the road to eternal destruction is wide and well-traveled. Many, many find it, and I would add many, many more find it. The road to salvation is narrow, and few find it. And Jesus' image there was as specific as it could possibly be. More people are going to go to hell than go to heaven by far. And that breaks the heart of God. It should break your heart as well. Now, when you sell people are made in the image of God, you're right in that, but that doesn't mean, I think, what you think it means. Being made in the image of God simply means two things. We're going to live somewhere forever. We're, from the time we take our first breath, that point forward, we're going to live somewhere forever. And we have to choose. That's what we have in common with God. That's the image of God. We are, like God chooses us, we have to choose Him. And if we don't make the right choice, then we have to accept the eternal consequences of separation from God. God honors the choice we make in life. He honors that choice in eternity. So you're going to live somewhere forever. You live with God or you live without God. If you live with God, we call that heaven. If you live without God, we call that hell. So, Melissa, you don't know your Bible. It's not impossible for anyone to go to hell. Your argument is with Jesus himself and not with Christians. And if you really love people, Melissa, what you do is you tell them the way to escape hell. Again, if you believe that Jesus is lying, you've got a lot of problems, a lot bigger than some people going to hell. Make sure, Melissa, that you're not one of them. James says, and this will be our last one for the day, um, what role does repentance play in justification and in sanctification? Um, James, I, I said I got one more, but this is going to be too long of a question for just the minute that we have left. So why don't I leave that one for the opening of tomorrow's program? Hey, before we we got one minute, so I'll just kind of talk for a minute. Um, it's never my intent to inflame or to offend. I made a commitment when we started this program a little more than eight years ago that we were going to take questions, we are going to answer them honestly according to the Word of God. And so I know there are many Max Lucado fans out there right now. He needs prayer. He's a faithful servant of God. He's wrong. He's horribly, dangerously wrong here in this particular thing. So if you want to go pray, pray for a right biblical outlook on the world that we live in. 
Hey, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. This is The Word to Stand Up For Life. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.